everyone. This is Regina. Hi, horse lovers. This is Lynn. This week on the Horse Industry Podcast. Gina, we're in the same state. It's amazing. In the same studio. I can't believe it. Looking at each other. And it's cold outside. It is cold outside. It is cold outside. But Gina, I am so amazed. People are downloading us. I look at the analytics regularly and I get so excited. Like every five minutes? Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. And then she'll like take a picture of it and she'll send it to me. We are humbled and overwhelmed and so appreciative of the hundreds of people that have downloaded our episode and like us. It's fun. And you know, as we shared when we started this, we have been fans of the horse industry, all aspects of the horse industry, our entire lives. And to be able to contribute in this way, this piece of the history and the stories means so much. And so we are truly, truly grateful for all the kind messages and words of encouragement and interest that everyone has shared. Yeah. And it's just not all my husband and your husband downloading us. (laughs) Actually, I don't think my husband has listened to a single solitary episode. (laughs) My my 23-year-old son, who who listens to podcasts all the time, he refuses to listen to two middle-aged women talk about so it's okay, Ty Cool. I yeah. forgive you. Um, mm-hmm. But someday when we're making a living at this, yeah. I, I might not share my funds with you. <laughs> well, and I can tell you that my 13-year-old daughter who refused to listen, she was captured in my vehicle because I was driving and she couldn't get out. <laughs> I made her listen to one and she started laughing. She goes, you know, you're not that bad. <laughs> so... Anyway, it's it's been a lot of fun. And, and Gina and I both have full-time careers. And so this is kind of a part-time job for us. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's fun. It's I'm enjoying a, every minute of it. It's sunshine in our day. It is. It is. It's a lot of fun. So this week, we are shifting gears a little bit. We're talking about four sixes. Yeah, we are. And, and so we want to make sure that we have an episode for everyone. We can't always be our hilarious selves. <laughs> Sometimes we need to take a step back and talk about the history of the industry. And one of the things that I kept running across every time that we would go to a cutting or I see wind pitchers or arena pitchers from a cutting the four sixes logo. And I really wanted to find out about the four sixes. And then I intrigued Gina to check into the four sixes. And the next thing I know, we're buying swag from the four sixes. (laughs) I've got a boot jack in my trailer. I don't Gina, what did you buy? I have a four sixes t-shirt and a four sixes ball cap that actually I wore. We were in St. Louis last week and at a paint horse show. And I wore them and I literally had people stop and comment on my t-shirt and my hat and they're like, oh my gosh, you've ever been to, have you ever been to Guthrie, Texas? And have you ever been to Four Sixes? And unfortunately, I have not physically been there, but in my mind and in my research, you and I both spent a lot of time looking into the Four Sixes. So it is a fascinating story. Yeah. So today we're going to step into the history of the Four Sixes. I think, Lynn, when you kind of told me about the Four Sixes, it's, it's everything that people think about when they think about cowboys and the Old West and the sprawling ranches. And so it was easy to kind of go down that rabbit hole of 
what is the four sixes? How did it start? And so really, we decided that this can't be done in one episode. So this is going to be the first of a couple episodes on the four sixes ranch out of Texas. And of course, one of the reasons that this actually kind of came on our radar is that four sixes is for sale. And I have such a hard time wrapping my head around the idea that the family could sell it. It's sad to me. Like, it's so sad that, like, that Burke Burnett, who mm-hmm. we're going to talk about today, worked mm-hmm. so hard to to accumulate all of that. And now it's for sale. And will the person that buys it treasure what an amazing accomplishment that that family pulled together yeah, and, and had and, and, and nurtured yeah. and protected and grew and the, their contributions. So Lynn, when we were looking at the four sixes, one of the areas, one of the resources that I found was actually the American Quarter Horse Association. So they have an award every year. It's called the Remuda Award. And you actually kind of explained to me what a Remuda is. I did not know. But essentially, ranches have a ton of horses. And so they have this this Remuda in which it's a group of horses from which they select the horses that they're going to use for that day when they need to work the ranch. So the American Quarter Horse Association has this Remuda Award every year, and it's a big deal. And Four Sixes won that award back in 1993. You know, with all of the research that that we have done and all the discussions that we've had about the ranch, I think that the description of Four Sixes and how it began is really best described by that article in AQHA. And so obviously, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to link that article in our show notes. But I am going to pretty much share verbatim what was posted in the Quarter Horse Journal. So Jim Jennings interviewed Dr. Glenn Blodgett for the article for the Quarter Horse Journal article. Now, Dr. Blodgett is still there. So he's been there pretty much, it seems like his entire career. They interviewed Dr. Blodgett, and at the time the article was written, Blodgett was the Four Sixes Ranch's horse manager. And he shared that he was super proud to have earned the Best Remuda Award for the AQHA because, as he says, their goal at the ranch was to produce the world's best ranch horse. And he said, I think that we're doing that. And again, he's still the manager there today. Raising good ranch horses was always a goal with Samuel Burke Burnett. He is the legendary founder of the Four Sixes Ranch. He found his calling early and joined his father in the cattle business in Texas when Burke was only 10 years old. Stories about young Burke Burnett are as many as the cattle on the ranch today. According to one of the stories, in the 1860s, as a young lad of 17, his father sent him on his first trail drive to the markets in Kansas. Two years later, at 19, Burke headed north with another herd of cattle. This time, he was the trail boss. Now, according to the story, and again, this all comes from the article published by the AQHA, the maturity he exhibited on the trip was probably a sign of things to come. 
Somewhere in the Oklahoma Territory, Indians hit the herd one night and drove off all of the horses except for the night horses that the cowboys were riding. Burke moved the herd out the following morning with half of the cowboys walking, and they continued north until he was able to purchase more mounts. Once he reached Kansas, he found that the market had bottomed out, the cattle market. Selling his cattle would mean a tremendous loss. He, of course, had no way to communicate with his father at the time. So he decided to overwinter the cattle in Kansas. He arranged for temporary grassland, and he grazed the cattle all winter and sold them the following year for a profit. Around 1867, Burke purchased a herd of cattle that carried the Four Sixes brand, a mark that he adopted and made famous worldwide. Lynn, do you remember that story that we heard, though, that was about how there was a poker hand like the four sixes came from a poker hand and that's not actually what happened it's not and that it's a great story i mean i guess if i had if i had a preference he would have won it in a poker hand it sounds very old west and cool but yeah he actually purchased the cattle that already had the brand and he kept it and the reason so what i like about that too about the brand Mm -hmm. because of all the the cattle thievery that was going on during that time that that the sixes were hard to alter. So that's why he kept that 4-6 brand so that the cattle rustlers would not be able to easily change or alter his brand. Yeah. And I think, and what it was, was that when you think of the number six, that bottom circle or that bottom loop, it didn't close all the way. Yes. And that's what's kind of cool with our, your Boot jack. My swag. My, yeah, our swag. We have that. And so it's. I at- won't let my husband get dirt on mine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to the story. Burke bought his first land near where Wichita Falls, Texas would later stand, 125 miles northwest of Fort Worth. As the days of the open range ended, he increased his holdings, buying the Old Eight Ranch in north central Texas. That ranch became the nucleus of the Four Sixes Ranch, and a later purchase added the Dixon Creek Division, which is located in the Texas Panhandle. So Burke's son, Tom, joined his father in running the ranch, and later founded his own ranches called the Triangle. Angles. Tom had one daughter, Anne Burnett Tandy, who upon the death of her father and grandfather took control of both the four sixes and the triangle ranches. Known throughout the cattle and horse industry as Miss Anne, she was very instrumental in the early years of the AQHA. In fact, in 1940, the AQHA founders were her dinner guests the night before the meeting that originated the association. So Miss Anne was posthumously inducted into the American Quarter Horse Hall of Fame in 1990 during the association's 50th anniversary celebration. So today, the four sixes encompasses nearly 350,000 acres on which run 7,500 to 8,000 mother cows and about 500 bulls. So mother cows, those are the moms, and then the heifers are the young girls. Edit, edit, (laughs) edit. (laughs) Oh, my my God. Today, the four sixes encompasses nearly 350,000 acres on which run almost 8,000 cows and about 500 bulls. The ranch has its own airstrip, hangar, 
pipe corrals, and steel barns. But things haven't changed much in the last hundred years as far as the way the livestock are handled. It's all done by cowboys on horses. Some of the cowboys live at the ranch headquarters. Others live with their families on various quote-unquote camps or houses placed in remote areas of the ranch. Camp cowboys usually look after the part of the ranch on which they live, while those who live at headquarters keep their horses there, usually turned out in a small pasture near the barns. The cowboys who live at the camps keep their horses in pastures near their houses. So Dr. Blodgett said that the horses ride better if they are turned out the majority of the time. He reports in the story... How does that fit to pleasure horses? Because I'm pretty sure my, no. my horse would ride a lot better if it was turned out all the time. But no, we keep it up in a stall. Uh-huh. Very well cared. And then they try to buck us off. They probably don't have to lunge any of those horses. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think they have to lunge before they go out on the range. <laughs> I spent a lot of my life lunging horses. Maybe the cowboy way might be something for us to consider. Well, and as the story goes on that the AQHA wrote for the journal, and I'll get there in a second, about what they looked for in a, in a quality ranch horse, where... I think our pleasure horses today are so delicate and so pampered. And so I don't think they could handle... Easily crippled? Easily. I don't think they could handle ranch life. (laughs) Okay, so with that, he said that they almost never, they don't have any issues with colic or tying up because their horses are out a lot. So when the ranch is working cattle, like in the spring, when all the calves are branded, a job that takes several weeks, the cowboys at the camps bring most of their horses into the headquarters and leave them there until the work is finished. Everyone works out of the headquarters during that period, although the camp cowboys do go home to their families each night. The ranch cowboys ride only dot, 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 what's your guess? Mares or geldings? I'm going to guess geldings. Uh, Yeah, they only ride geldings. Blodgett stated that geldings get along better with each other. Anytime they go somewhere on the ranch to work, they load six head in a trailer and the horses have got to get along. He says that when a lot of times they get cattle in a pen and some of the men have to get off and work from the ground and the cowboys then turn their horses loose in a corral together. He said if there's mares in there, they're squealing and kicking and I'm not surprised. So Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> so they like the geldings. So to get enough horses for the cowboys at four sixes, the ranch breeds, take a guess, how many mares do you think they breed? 150. And I'm totally guessing. I don't know. That's good. About 100. Yeah, about 100 mares each year. Many of those mares go back to stallions for which the ranch is famous for, such as Joe Hancock, Hollywood Gold, and some even go back to army remount horses that were used in the 30s and 40s. However, they all have proven their worth. Quality horses is important to the ranch, and there are some specific things that they look for, which we were just alluding to. Blodgett said that the horses have to have a lot of stamina. Some of the pastures are several thousand acres in size, and the cowboys need a horse that they can ride a long way and still have something left. Smooth riding is important. When you think of the time that these men spend on horseback, most of it is at a trot 
Oh, that sounds awful. I can just tell you from my experience last weekend at a cutting, and they had me long trot some of these quarter horses <laughs> to warm them up. I'm going to tell you, there's a couple I don't mind trotting, and, and there's, there's a, a couple <laughs> I don't ever want to trot on those horses again. So I get that. Instant headache. I mean, like, I might not be a range cowboy, but <laughs> I picked up on that pretty quick. Oh, yeah. He says, you've got to have a smooth trotting horse. Also, the horse has to be agile, and it has to be able to move well in the pasture. Blodgett continued, we calve in the fall and we wean in the hot summer in July, lots of 100 degree days. We've got to have a horse that's heat tolerant. And since we still rope and drag our calves to the fire when we brand, the horse has to have the strength to drag those calves. He's also has to have the strength to handle a big bull if we have to rope one. So he goes on to say that their horses also have to have cow sense. They have to be able to do something with a cow, and they have to be able to be fast enough to catch the cattle. Are cattle fast? Yes. Cattle are fast. Okay. Tricky. 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 They're smart, tricky, yes. fast cattle. Yes. Okay. So they also say- My co-host is not <laughs> Woman. <laughs> I am not. I am not. As I'm telling this story and I say things, Lynn's looking at me like I'm... We've had to do a couple edits. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Their horses also have to have good hoof quality. They would prefer that a horse is not shod, but they put shoes on all of them for added protection. About half of the pastures require a horse to be shod. So with a few exceptions, each man, believe, believe it or not, shoes his own horses. The ranch furnishes the shoes, the nails, and the tools. And as Blodgett said, a few of the older guys might get one of the young ones to shoe their horses, but they've had guys come to work here and then they've learned to shoe their own horse, which is kind of fascinating. Do you know how much money I would save if I could shoe my own horse? <laughs> yes, and I can only imagine how crippled your horse would be. <laughs> you know, again, thank you, Matt Moore, for being an awesome farrier. <laughs> of all the foals that are born each year at Four Sixes, most of the geldings go into the Remuda, while some of the fillies are returned to the broodmare band. All of the horses on the ranch have been branded since Burke Burnett's day. And this is really interesting. Through the brands, each horse can be instantly identified as to its breeding and age. On the left jaw is a one or two digit number that indicates the animal's mare family. And on the left shoulder is an L, the letter L. And that is in honor of Burnett's father-in-law, Captain M.B. Lloyd, which he was the banker, right? Yeah. So I found that M.B. Lloyd history really interesting, especially when I found out that they put that brand on the horses. So M.B. Lloyd was a big banker. He joined the Civil War. And so there was a need in the Fort Worth district for somebody to manage all the money that these cowboys were bringing in off the ranches. Mm -hmm. So anyway, our, our friend, our Burke Burnett married the banker's daughter. So anyway, <laughs> nice. like, right, right there you right, go. Right. So that's where that L, that L comes from. And so then continuing on with the brands on the left buttock is a single digit indicating the horse's year of birth. And on the right buttock contains a two digit number indicating his sire. So when the four sixes Cowboys pick the new horse for their string each year, it works much like the NFL draft. The picking order is based on seniority at the ranch, but a cowboy will occasionally trade one of the horses in his string to another cowboy in order to get a higher pick. As Blodgett said, to a large extent, these guys will get to liking horses out of a certain mare. They seem to get more aligned to a mare than they do with a stud. 
And he says that it's been really interesting to him to sit back and watch how things play out. He said sometimes the men really do better not knowing what a cult breeding is. If they pick the horses on how they move, how they react, sometimes they get something that they they wouldn't expect that they would typically pick. You know, I mean, think about the horse industry now. I mean, we all look at pedigrees. If anybody puts anything for sale, we're all looking at those pedigrees and we all know the temperaments. I mean, I think the Skipper W's were a little crazy. <laughs> and but I mean, and then there's all this pleasure horse that are just kind and gentle. So I mean, even the cowboys see that and go for that certain bloodline for you sure. You know, I think that when I got back into pleasure horses, I I really struggled watching when someone would say, Oh look, that that gelding's really flat kneed, or look at how that there's the reach from you know from the hind. I couldn't see it. I mean, I couldn't see it, and I'm embarrassed to say it. Now, when someone would say, do you see how that how flat-kneed that horse is? I'd be like, oh, yeah, that horse is really flat-kneed. That's why she has a really good trainer to help yeah, her find her horses. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, though, now I can see it. I mean, it's taken years of me studying horses move around the show pen. In the past, I may have not studied that. Like, my daughter would go in, and I would watch the class. But I've really tried to watch how those animals move. And now it's, I can literally look at a horse and say, that horse is flat kneed. And it really is flat kneed. Yeah. And for me, coming from the pleasure horse industry and spending so many years there, moving into the performance horses, the cutting horses, nobody really cares if they're flat kneed. They just need to be athletic. <laughs> uh-huh. And so, anyway, so when you're trotting, long trotting some of those around <laughs> and the pen, uh, nobody cares nobody how they're cares. moving. They just need to be athletic. Yes. <laughs> different strokes for different folks. Right. Okay. So that's basically how the Cowboys then pick their horses at four sixes. And again, everybody kind of has their own system. Okay. So the Dixon Creek division of four sixes is located up in the panhandle. It has a few cows, but it runs primarily steer and heifer yearlings. There are no broodmares, and those cowboys, too, get their picks from the colts at the main ranch. Unlike most of the ranches of its size, Blodgett artificially inseminates all of the mares. He was hired by Mrs. Marion in 1982 because Blodgett says... She wanted to really develop the horse program and intensify and modernize the horse production at the ranch. And I have to note that one of the sources that we read, I realized that Burke Burnett had a preference for paint horses. And it was cute because he said that his philosophy was that every spot was a dollar or every spot was worth a dollar. So that's kind of cool. Believe it or not, four sixes has a, are you ready for this? 375 foot mare motel. Wouldn't that be fun? That'd be fun. It would be a lot of work. You'd have to have a lot of help. You'd have to have a lot of help. Okay, so there have been some changes at the Four Sixes Ranch in the last 100 years, but Burke Burnett would still recognize it. Burnett's home that he built in 1917 for $100,000 still sits atop the hill overlooking the town of Guthrie and the headquarters of the ranch. The ranch is still in the family as of now, and it is owned by Burnett's great-granddaughter, and the brands remain the same on the cattle and on the horses, and the philosophy about good cow horses is still there. Perhaps Blodgett says it best at the end of the article, quote, Something I'm always doing is rethinking how I did something and trying to figure out how to do it better. I'm 
always trying to figure out a better way to do things. However, sometimes I may change and go back to the way I was doing it before. The old way may have been better. So Lynn, that was pretty much verbatim. The article that was in the Quarter Horse Journal when the Four Sixes Ranch earned their Remuda Award in 1993. And I think it really kind of gives that sense of how, you know, the philosophy and the approach to the ranch and the kind of working business that it was. Today, the Four Sixes Ranch is listed for sale. There was an article posted in December of 2020. The offering includes the 142,000 acre operation in Guthrie, Texas, which is home of the ranch horses operation, as well as two other properties in the Texas Panhandle, the 114,000 acre Dixon Creek Ranch Division and the 9,000 plus acre Frisco Creek Ranch Division. So Sam Middleton, the owner of a Texas-based brokerage that has the listing of the ranch, said that the four sixes properties were put on the market in accordance to the wishes of the late four sixes heir Anne Marion, who died early in 2020. He said in this article that the sales because Anne Marion passed away and in the terms of her will, she wanted the ranch to be sold on her passing. The listing price for the Guthrie property that includes the horse division's headquarters is a whopping $192 million plus change. The Dixon Creek Ranch Division is listed at $137 million plus change. And the Frisco Creek Ranch Division is listed at $12 million. Though each of the divisions has been priced separately, the hope is to sell all the three together. Each division complements the operation as a whole, and it does not include the ranch's horses, and I just have such a hard time that it's being sold. Right. I do, too. And then, so I, I'm trying to figure out what in the world would would cause her to want to have it sold at her passing. And I wonder if the burden, I wonder if the burden for her was so overwhelming that she didn't want to pass that on to her daughter, her granddaughter, because there is a daughter and a granddaughter. And I believe that her granddaughter is very involved in show jumping. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I wonder if it's just to take the burden, because I, I, thinks that she lived life well and to mm-hmm. the fullest, but was it a constant burden? Yeah. I mean, what's the old saying? To to whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah. And I I think it's easy for those of us who love horses and love ranches and love that that perceived lifestyle mm-hmm. to sit back and go, I would give anything for that. I mean, yeah. if if that was if I if that was my inheritance, mm-hmm. I would cherish it and I would love it. But I do think that it probably was a tremendous burden on her and she didn't want to pass that burden down to future generations. Mm-hmm. But I also, I guess and who knows? We don't have the will. Do you have a copy of the will? I I don't. I don't know. either. And so maybe there maybe she gave that option that they could not sell, but according to her will, everything that I've read said that it was, yeah, it was a and done from deal. What I understand, and I don't know that my sources really know this, but from what I understand, it was when it passed to her, it was in the will that she could not sell. Right. So then she didn't want to burden, and I'm guessing future the, generations, future, future generations with that burden. Yeah. And I understand. I mean, my husband and I run, and I, and actually, our son does most of the work now. We want to run a small cattle operation. And it is 
responsibility and burden. You can't just walk away from that and leave it for the weekend. You've got to have somebody to fill in and you've got calving issues. And I mean, we've had C-section twins this year and a calf that came backwards last night. And so, I mean, there's a lot of, and I mean, we're talking like 15 mama cows. They had 5,000. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 5,000. It's crazy. Well, and probably there are some pressures now facing the ranch that the predecessors did not have. Yeah. Socioeconomic, political, you know, I don't know what they face, but the world has changed. So I just, and I think you too, and I didn't mean to to cut in on mm -hmm. you there, but I just, I hope that it doesn't turn into a concrete mall. Yeah. Ditto. Because as you know, I'm kind of a conservationist. I really love... She's a butterfly farmer. I'm a butterfly far- monarch butterfly farmer simply because monarch butterfly population has dwindled significantly in the last couple decades, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> it's just the 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 land and the open space and the critters and the creatures that live there. I certainly hope that who does whoever does buy... Uh, hey, should we do a GoFundMe to try to raise what five hundred million? So the horse industry <laughs> podcast can purchase the right. four sixes. <laughs> Anybody that wants to go in on the four sixes with the horse industry podcast, let's do it. No, in all seriousness, it certainly is a really fascinating situation, and it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds. And so. Lynn and I wanted to share kind of the history of the ranch and how it came to be. And we will look forward to sharing more episodes on the four sixes down the road. Yeah, maybe we'll have an update for you if it does sell. But what I am seeing is that the the ranch is continuing as usual. I mean, mm-hmm. they're still advertising. There's Nothing has changed in the day-to-day operations at this point. And the gift shop is still open. Yes. So you can go shopping. <laughs> so, And I do, it would be fun to visit and it would be fun to see it as it is now before it is sold and, and broken up. I think I would rather go visit the Four Sixes than to go see Chip and Joanna. <laughs> At Magnolia Farms? Yeah. You'd rather see yeah. Four Sixes? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this week, guys. And we are going to keep you posted on the Four Sixes. And we are going to be offering more Four Sixes episodes in the future. So that's our story this week. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to spending more time with you and sharing stories of our industry. See you next week.